Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, long time. Not recently with Voice America, but he's my intro, and I appreciate your voice, Ryan. Thank you. I never remember when I do the intro. I'm talking to my panelists and our audience live on LinkedIn and Facebook. I don't remember if I say the future was here, so I'm just going to say I'm taking you into the future, and we'll do that. I have such a fascinating topic for you, and I have to do a shout-out to a young lady named Tracy Venters at Parallel PR for submitting this this concept to me about a topic I know absolutely nothing about this. So it's going to be a revelation for me and I hope for you holograms. You you might see them on your credit card, you think. You might see them in movies or TV shows, but they are real and they're being used in business today for so many uses. So that's what we're going to talk about, the future of holograms in business and industry the better to see you, my dear. And that's a line I stole from Little Red Riding Hood. And yes, my other name on radio is Radio Red. So Little Red Riding Hood is probably very appropriate. But let me give you my no my normal opening. I have a bunch of buzz quotes. And let's just set this up. And then I'll have my four. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say my four brilliant futurists. Do you all want to be brilliant today? James and Ellen and Joe and Taylor, you want you want to be brilliant futurists? Are you with me? On the, yeah. Okay, yeah, good, good. I, I need we'll, your we'll buy-in. We'll settle coherent, but uh, yes. <laughs> okay, thank you, Alan. I should have known. Okay, what is holography? Holo holography, holography is a photographic technique that records the light scattered from an object and presents it as three dimensional. It actually was developed in 1962 in a combination of scientists from the Soviet Union and the University of Michigan, believe it or not, when they were inventing, they were innovating laser programs that recorded objects in 3D on a silver halide photographic emulsion. It wasn't too good, but it's gotten a lot better. That's from iqsdirectory.com. Now I have a quote from L-A-M-A-S-A -A Tech. I think that's Lamasa Tech. Listen, hologram technology is impacting our lives. Get this. Medical students are being taught using mixed reality training. They're learning from lifelike holograms. Ah, that should be good. In entertainment, performers could be beamed all over the world and even into a mobile game. You may have a rainbow hologram on your credit card and even your driver's license, depending on where you live for security. That's buzz number two. Buzz number three. What about eliminating travel now with all the questions about carbon and carbon footprint and emissions and greenhouse gases and climate change? We've been trying to eliminate massive amounts of corporate travel. Well, it's being done. The CEO of Columbia Ship Management, LLD, Mark O'Neill, used to make dozens of trips a year. He only has 17,000 crew members. They only have 400 ships all over the world. Well, in January of this year, 2022, he showed up in 3D in a six-foot life-size, what they call a splendor, at a conference in Manila via a screen at their headquarters in Cyprus. And he said, it was a real beam-me-up moment. They felt I was really there and he could interact in real time with the people there. And I have one more. Holograms may become part of our office life. How many of you are back in the office? Taylor, Joe, James, anybody back in the office these days? Yes? Absolutely. Yep. 
Well, I work from home, so I'm always in the office. It's a 24-7 gig. I can't tell you more than that. So companies from Google to WeWork want to help employers reduce Zoom fatigue. I'm never fatigued on Zoom. I love it, but people say they're fatigued. Okay. (laughs) Alphabet Inc.'s Google in May of this year revealed Project Starline, an effort to create a video chat system with screens that get participants three-dimensional depth. Okay. WeWork has a partnership with ARHT Media that's going to bring holograms to 100 WeWork sites in 16 locations. And guess where they're starting? In New York and LA. And of all places, Miami? Why? I don't know. But they have an important WeWork site in Miami. And Microsoft introduced Microsoft Mesh a mixed, I've heard of that, a mixed reality service that integrates three-dimensional images of people and content into displays of smart glasses. Does anybody here have smart glasses? Did you all try them, give them back, keep them? Taylor, 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 you got to mention that in your bio and other devices. So when I call your name, just wave hello to the audience and then we'll be doing bios next. Joe Ward, CEO at Icon. Hello, Joe. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. We have Alan Proesis at CEO at GXC. There's a logo behind him, but we're looking at his handsome pun there, so we don't see the logo. Mm-hmm. Taylor Scott, CTO at Icon. I heard really great things about you. And wait till you hear his voice. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and James Brem, B-R-E-H-M. That's the way they told me to say it. C-T-E at James Brem Associates. And I'm going to ask them for their insights on the future of holograms in business and industry. The better to see you, my dear. And let's hope the answer is yes. Again, thank you to Tracy Venter at Parallel PR for this wonderful topic. And hello also to Glenn Goldberg, who's from New York. He told me Oceanside, we won't talk about that right now. And we also have Cody Oakland with us in the background today. So Bonnie D in the house, let's get started. Joe Ward, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you please honor us with a three minute condensation of everything you've ever done in your entire life? But mostly Joe, why would people find it interesting to listen to you? What's your passion for holograms in business? Joe, welcome. Well, first, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having uh, Taylor and myself uh, uh, today. Uh, Thanks, Glenn, for setting this up. You know, uh, I'm an old guy, right? So I've been in technology most of my life, oddly enough, in the phone business, um, you know, starting out uh, back when I was much younger, competing against the big boys, AT&T and and so forth. Um, You know, it always occurred to me um, as I grew my career, uh, the technology started to change dramatically. Uh, we went from, you know, old rotary dial phones back in the day to touch tone to to, uh, to to analog to digital to IP to in the cloud to as a service. And so I rode that wave throughout my career. And oddly enough, about five years ago, my phone rang and it was a friend of mine who told me, Joe, I've met this young man who's quite bright. Um, he's, he wants to leave his family intellectual consulting business and start his own company, would you be interested in running the company for him? And I said, absolutely not. Um, I was gainfully employed in corporate America, a publicly traded company. Um, but I always had a passion for technology. I always had a passion for uh, being a forward thinker. I always, you know, you take these psychological profile tests. And I remember many, many years ago said that uh, not only do you not, do you think outside of the box, there is no box, right? So I sat down with Taylor and we spent seven hours together. And as you will come to learn during this call, Taylor's a quite a bright young man. Um, and we ended up starting Icon together. Um, a, a lot of parallels in my background to what we're doing. Um, 
you know, we had to make some decisions. Do you want to have a proprietary platform or an open source platform? We chose open source. Do you want the market to dictate content and user uh, user um, uh, adaptability? We wanted that to happen. So um, do you want to be in the cloud, et cetera, et cetera? So as a service is important to us. Holograms have been around, quite frankly, Taylor's going to correct you, since the 1700s, uh, not since 1962. Um, uh, but, but they're usually big stage shows. And what we've been able to do is create uh, and patent a technology that allows us to create holograms in ambient light without any headgear, no goggles. So there's a lot of energy around goggles. There's a lot of en energy around this confined experience. We think that has its place, but we don't think people want to walk around and have Starbucks coffee with a with a, a, a headset on. So um, what you'll learn about from Icon today is quite unique. Um, we believe there's a tremendous amount of business applications that we're exploring, whether it's uh, global cosmetics companies, the military, um, um, uh, entertainment. Um, we're really able to do things that have never been done before. So I'm excited for the audience to hear from Taylor on the technical side of things. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to your predictions, Joe. And Joe, I have to just uh, do a little bit of parallel. I don't know how OLD you are. I'm not telling you about me. But I'm considered an early woman in tech because I was a programmer analyst back in the day. I was coding in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 oh, CP5. Nice. And I was key punching my instructions. And I could write on paper 2,000 lines of code over a weekend, punch it in on a Monday, have it running by 1 in the afternoon. And and this was just something that was so exciting. And then I graduated to an IBM 4341 coding in PL1. And I was the uh, kickoff speaker for the organization called Women in Big Data last year on International Women's Day, March 8th, 2021. And I did a slideshow of what a mainframe computer looked like. And I, <laughs> I still have my COBOL handbook. I showed them what a, what a computer looks like with, you know, big as a warehouse, and it was. And I showed them some of my note, handwritten notes on green bar paper and the silver cobalt book and it was just a race said what's that so back in the day so I remember and somebody told me Joe I'm an early woman in tech so I appreciate very much I very much uh, our, our background in understanding the excitement of technology well, I'm gonna stop Joe I want I want to go around and get the bios but you'll you'll be giving your predictions in a minute so let's go to Alan who's been waiting patiently Alan I'm gonna ask you to unmute please there you are Alan I'm putting you on full screen and would you please introduce yourself go ahead well, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, you're bringing back the shakes, thinking about some of your uh, your old computer stories. Because, of course, uh, if you dropped those punch cards and you hadn't numbered them, uh, you could never get your program to run. But uh, but that was even a little before my time. But but in any case, uh, again, I'm Alan Perwithis, and thank you uh, for, for having me in this uh, exciting conversation today. I've been around the tech business, especially uh, mobile technology, uh, since the early days and, um, and joined GXC as CEO this summer. And, and really look at this as an opportunity to really leverage a lifetime of experience of really, we talk about all these things and especially with holograms, how many years have we seen this in movies? And of course, everybody talks to our friends at Icon about, uh, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, you're my only hope. And, you know, we've been brainwashed for over 40, 50 years in, in mass media, but how do you actually make all these things happen? It, it's really the perhaps less sexy, but, but still a lot of work part of, of actually realizing the dreams that, that we talk about. And that's really what we're doing at GXC um, in that we are the leading provider of private cellular networks for enterprise. And so 
if you want an enterprise to actually use this technology for video conferencing, for training, for maintenance, for all these other applications, um, you need the right infrastructure. And just like a small company is not a small version of a large company, it's something really different. A private communications network is not a small version of a big one. Uh, a public network is really meant to be all things to all people, and a, and a private one is really meant to optimize on those key business functions. Um, so that's what we're doing uh, here at, uh, at GXC. And I, and I have to comment on one thing you said, Bonnie. You talked about, um, you know, in the 60s, some of the early holograph stuff started. And of course, Taylor's thinking 1700s. I was thinking about the lighthouse in Alexandria. But uh, but actually, if, if you think back in terms of even when sailor technology started, um, Hedy Lamar, the movie actress, actually patented some things in the mid-40s. Yes. We didn't have the first call. And, and speaking of women in, in, uh, in, in tech, uh, we didn't have the first commercial call to 1979. We didn't pass 50% uh, adoption of smartphones till about a dozen years ago. So if you look at the adoption phase and, and you look at, mm. at what you referenced for holograms, we're actually just hitting that moment in time where you're going to see holographic technology, I think, in the mass market. Thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate that. Um, I'm very impressed so far. Let's go around the table. Taylor Scott, people are saying very nice things about you. Can you live up to that? Taylor, welcome. And tell me also, what does ICANN stand for? I-K-I-N. Taylor, I'm putting you on speaker view. Introduce yourself. Go ahead. Uh, hey, uh, pleasure to be here. Um, uh, so yeah, my background's a, a bit interesting. About age of 15, is when I started working in the technology field, specifically in biochemistry, um, working with hydrogels and uh, mostly in the medical field. Had the privilege of working on some really exciting projects and essentially kind of stumbled into holography technically. It's always been my goal since I was a teenager to make the more specific and interesting science fiction concepts a reality, holograms being the first, um, certain drone technologies being others, as well as different types of, uh, of uh, light technologies that we're going to be we have some patents on for the, the future of icon as well um what was interesting is when i met joe was uh, really stumbled into the ability to, to create some large-scale consumer purposes for things like this as well as communication and some really emotional connective uh things um as far as holography is concerned and, and alan made some interesting comments there uh it, like you go back to the 1700s yes they have existed but people really have a different definition for what they want out of holography um, you think about bandages, like you can literally say, what is a Band-Aid? And somebody can give you their definition, but there's 85 different kinds of bandages, gel bandages, cohesive bandages. For us, holography, our holography is very special. My holography is, is very important to me um, and what we're delivering, specifically because unlike other systems, you'll be able to have it in the palm of your hand as well as in a large stage show and you can have, go to a stadium and, and see an experience there. So being able to connect people in a very different way is very important to us. As far as the name Icon, um, uh, I went to a bar one day when we were first starting this company with a, my best friend, uh, Jameson at the time. And uh, his last name is Eichen Laub. And I said, that was the worst last name of any human being I had ever heard in history. E-I-C-H-E-N-L-A-U-B. And he dared me to make it sexy. And so I said, fine. And so I got rid of the E, got rid of the lob, and I changed it to Icon. And now we have a division of Icon called Icon Labs. So Icon Labs, and he owed me one beer, and I officially collected <laughs> payment. And then Joe came along, and we had some we had some other name, Data Plus Entities. It was 
a different titleage. And Joe went, that is the worst name for any company I've ever heard. And I went, well, I've got this little word I've been working with. And so and that's how Icon was born. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely fascinated. But Taylor, I have to ask you, what were your parents feeding you if at 15 you wanted to be involved in a lifetime of technology and change the world and come up with them? You should have been at the mall and I don't know and doing stuff. And and how, how was there something special they gave you for breakfast or were you at a special school or do your parents have a bad? I'm just curious as a motivation for people listening around the world and, and watching us, what do you do to help a kid embrace something as exciting as is innovative technology like this at the age of 15? Just briefly, Taylor, give us a little parenting tip here. Well, I flunked out of high school, so I'm I am by no means the the, the collegiate uh, example. Uh, but yeah, my family and and as far as food is concerned, I was raised in New Orleans, so etouffee and gumbo were pretty much what I was raised on. Um, That's it. One thing that they did is they never stopped me from researching anything that I wanted to research. So if I had a passion for something, they did nothing but encourage it, and they didn't force me to learn topics that other people thought were of importance for me at that time, I was able to learn them at my own pace. So uh, my family definitely encouraged me to grow in my own my own direction. Courageous curiosity and creativity. I like that. I do a radio show Monday nights under a different name. I'm AKA Radio Red and it's called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives. And I have people from all walks of life talking about how do they create their life? What it's not about singing and dancing and painting. It's about yeah. how, how did you get here? What do you do? You know, what, what, what do you do for, for a passion and what's your career and what's your lifestyle? And, and people say to me, I didn't know I was a creative until I met you, Red. And there you go. So somebody coined the phrase, I think on my show, courageous creativity. And I thought that was Really, really wonderful and curiosity. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for the Iken story. I love it. Iken! I think there's a song about that. James Bram, you've been waiting so patiently. I can't wait to put you on speaker view. James, you're the only one with a company that's more than three or four letters company name. So James Bram and Associates, that's a lot to spell. James, welcome. Please tell us who you are and what does holography and holograms mean to you? Welcome. You got it. So uh, I'm an, I, I grew up on a fa small family farm in Iowa in a county of less than 10,000 people, right? And what I realized in growing up was everyone used technology there to get ahead back in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s. Agriculture was, was one of those things. I got my dream job out of college actually working for a large agricultural concern. And they pivoted and actually did the first digital transformation project that I know of. And I got the opportunity to be a part of that and got hooked on tech. As soon as I could cash in my stock options, I went running for tech. I landed at UUNet. If you remember the cow spotted boxes on Gateway's PCs, yep. I had 17 different roles at Gateway when I was there. Uh, and when Ted decided to sell the company, I jumped off early and landed real softly and became one of the original guys at Rackspace, right? Um, so, so I've got a background in working um, with networks, with devices, and with the cloud, right? And a lot of that is what spurs on what these guys are doing over at Icon. After, after that, I did a couple of other startups that didn't fare so well, and I landed at a market research and consulting firm. And when they offered me partnership after I'd been there 10 years and leading a lot of their bespoke work on mobility, I decided to go out and do my own thing. And James Bremen Associates is the worst name for, for a company. It's, it's worse than, 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 than Taylor's. Right? Careful, careful. Uh, <laughs> and honest to God, the only reason I came up with this is because 
I couldn't come up with a better name to do to do bespoke consulting for my customers, right? And we do a lot of work for a lot of really big tech firms. And what I've learned is big tech guys don't speak startup and startups don't know how to navigate big tech. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I've seen in, in this space is um, Windows startups can, can actually navigate big tech. Really cool things happen. I believe that, that holography, when I, when I first saw it, uh, uh, from, from Joe and Taylor and what they're doing. You know, when I'd been to, the, to a Las Vegas holographic show and things like that, I actually thought this stuff could change the world. It could be as revolutionary as when I saw my first uh, touchscreen uh, iPhone device, right? And how, how revolutionary uh, was, was that? Um, so, so to me, I think holography is actually that medium that could change the world in the way that we actually communicate. If you, if you remember, Alan said something about what was it, a decade or 12 years ago is when we, we hit that inflection point on smartphones. Well, actually, it was, it was more recent than that on a global basis. It was like six years ago where we reached 50% penetration. So, you know, this could be the new medium. This really could be the new medium and, and, and transform things. So that's, that's truly, in a nutshell, what holography means to me and, and why my viewpoint may be just a little bit different or contrarian to, to the people that grew up uh, in tech. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting bios. Again, thank you to Tracy and Glenn for bringing all of you to me. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. Obviously, tech fascinates me. And I'll tell you that when I went to school for my twin degrees in computer programming and computer operations, the people with me in those classes, there was no discrimination of male versus female. We had half the class were, were women, and these were refugees from Law school, didn't want to be a lawyer. Medical school, didn't want to be a doctor. Architecture school, didn't want to be an architect. What's this thing called a computer? What am I going to do? And you'll all laugh. I have a, a bachelor's degree, magna cum laude, in psychology. And I got divorced young, had a couple kids, need to earn a living. And my parents sent me a stack of brochures. And they said, pick something. And I, I'm 3,000 miles away in Eugene, Oregon. And there's a community college that's two bus rides away from my house. And I didn't have a car. And I went to the college. I said, what's this thing about computer programming? And they said, oh, the class is full, but I tell you what, you're all going to love this. Come back for two weeks and stand in the back of the class. In two weeks, 50 to 75% of the people will say, uh-uh, this is not for me. And they'll drop out and we will enroll you in the class. And I did. And they awesome. did. And that's what happened. And they hired me to run a statewide system after two years after two. And the men in the class, Joe, you'll love this. The men in the class were pissed at me because I didn't use a slide rule in my business statistics class. I calculated everything with pencil and paper and did the math in my head. And they said, how dare you ace the class? You're not using tools like we <laughs> It was so funny. Yes, I was a disruptor back then. Thank you all. This is a part of the show where I've asked each of you to come up with a fictional TV or movie quote or a song lyric that has nothing to do with our topic. And you're going to relate it to the topic briefly. Let's keep this about two minutes because I want to make sure we have plenty of time for your prediction. So Joe Ward, you're up first. Joe has a quote from Buckaroo Banzai, played by Peter Weller. Speaking to Penny Pretty, played by Ellen Barkin, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, 1984 <laughs> American sci-fi. It's a fiction. It's a sci-fi 
action adventure comedy romantic film. They they just put all these genres together. It centers on the efforts of polymath Dr. Buck Rubansai, a physicist, a neurosurgeon, a test pilot, and a rock star, of course. Why not? Right, Taylor? He wants to <laughs> save the world by def- why wouldn't you be a rock star in addition to a physics physicist, a neuroscientist, and a test pilot? Don't those all go together on your profile in high school what you want to be when you grow up? He's gonna <laughs> save the world by defeating interdimensional aliens called red. There's that word. Red Electroids from Planet 10. Uh, Vincent Canby of the Times called it pure nutty fun. It's been adapted for books, comics, a video game, and has a cult following. And here is the quote. I think it's a paraphrase from something we all know very well. No matter where you go, there you are. Joe, take, the, take it away. Give me about two minutes. What does this have to do with our hologram topic? Well, it's a great movie. Highly recommend it. And, you know, I, I saw that movie, I don't know, 25 years ago, whenever it came out. I um, and then I met Buckaroo Banzai. He's on this call. His name's Taylor. Um, uh, you know, Taylor plays 13 instruments, speaks the better part of seven languages, uh, never finished higher education, has a has a, an autographic memory, which, by the way, drives me crazy because he remembers every single conversation we've ever had. Um, but but no, the, the quote is just obviously it's 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 very, I think, relevant to all of us. Right. Um, I've raised three boys and, and I've used that quote throughout their lives, you know, no, no matter what, where you go, there you are. I mean, you can't, you can't run from your challenges. Uh, you, you have to embrace them and, and overcome them. And, and, you know, geographically relocating doesn't solve anything. Um, and, and so it's, it's just always stuck with me on a personal level, on a business level. Um, you know, as we continue down the Icon journey, I think it's really important that we we stay grounded, but that we also take risks. And, and we've been really fortunate um, in, in our ability to do that. We didn't take any institutional money uh, as of yet. Uh, we've been very fortunate to, to raise our capital privately. And that's given us the freedom to explore and to create. And so um, that, that movie, um, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Uh, the quote is very, I think, in the forefront of everything we do. Um, and we, we really... Uh, uh, lean into that type of uh, culture. Thank you very much. And the quote I keep telling some of my kids is, Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. The light switch is either on or off. There's nothing in between, right? Unless you have a dimmer switch. Okay, let's move on. Thank you, Joe. Alan Proethis has sent us a quote from Blake, played by... Alec Baldwin, I'll just say that quietly, to Sheldon, Shelley the Machine, Levine, L-E-V-E-N-E. Played by Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon won some awards for this. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, 1992 American drama film. And if anybody's wondering where the title came from, these were a bunch of real estate guys and they were peddling Glenn Gary Highlands and Glenn Ross Farms. So they put that together. Uh, adapted by David Mamet from his 1984 Pulitzer Prize winning play. It's two days, two days in the lives of four real estate salesmen when corporate sends, oh no, a motivational trainer. He's threatening all but the top two will be fired within two weeks. And what's interesting, Alan, is that the play is supposed to be set in Chicago in the movie, but they showed the New York City subway platforms. They showed a New York City telephone payphone. They showed New York PD police cars and insignia. They showed New York license plates. And most of the actors had New York accents. So what can I tell you? And they shot it in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. I'm from New York, but I don't talk like that. A lot of profanity. And it was called Death of an and Salesman. That's what the cast call it. Here is the quote that Alec Baldwin's character, Blake, says, put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. I do a terrible Alec Baldwin impersonation. 
Alan, rescue me. What does this have to do with our topic? Please, Alan. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's about execution, really. And uh, even though I've spent a lifetime in, in technology, you know, my, my special sauce is really on the business side, the commercial side. You know, how do you take all these brilliant ideas? So the bad part, and I think as we get older, too, you realize this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at. And, like, I could never do what Taylor does, who has – you know, uh, rooms full of notebooks of, of new ideas, all of which could probably be a company. Um, you know, my focus is really more around, okay, we have this great idea. How do we make a reality? What's the business model? What's the ecosystem of technology and business partners you need to make it a reality? And I think that's really important when we're talking about any new technology, uh, including holograms, in that um, there's probably a thousand different things we can do with this stuff today. But how do we really... Uh, find that first, I don't even use the term killer use case because that implies uh, an instant hockey stick, which doesn't really reflect reality in most cases. But it's what are the right use cases to do today to educate the market on how this could impact their lives and how they can use it? And what are the right use cases tomorrow? Like, for instance, with some of the early hologram stuff with the, the full, you know, uh, the full VR versus AR stuff where you're completely in that world. Um, you know, having a brother who's the charge nurse uh, in an emergency room uh, could talk about the injuries of uh, 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 people who are coming in from losing track of where they're at in one of these things. And, uh, you know, and so if you're 12, that's great. If you're over that, you tend to want to, you know, sort of get nauseous after a few minutes. Um, so, you know, and, and then that's just on the consumer side, on the business side, too. So I, I think the trick in all these things is to figure out, you know, how do you find the best way to sort of illustrate what the tech can do, but you do it based on the maturity phase that today's tech is in. So you're not over-promising, but you're making the most advantage of it. And then, because what will happen is if you don't do that, if you over-promise and deliver now, people just reject it overall. And it, and it never really gets there or it takes 10 times longer. And so, so that's really what that quote's all about. It's about practical execution, practical application of whatever you're doing in tech. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I'm going to move on. And uh, by the way, Joe, I've already put a prediction in the chat for you for when we're, we're done with the quotes. Taylor Scott is next. Taylor, you picked a quote from a movie. This is Spinal Tap. And it's got some funny letters that look funny when the, that's the way. It's a rockumentary by Mark, Martin D. Berge. It's a 1984 mockumentary. Did you know that it launched the genre of the mockumentary, Taylor? You probably do. You probably know more about it than I do. It satirizes the behavior in music musical pretensions of rock bands and the hagiographic tendencies, I don't know what that word means, of rock documentaries, such as The Song Remains the Same, The Last Waltz, blah, blah, blah. Most of the dialogue was improvised and dozens of hours were filmed. It also has a 1984 soundtrack. I have the whole scene here, Taylor, and I'm going to speed read through the scene, if you don't mind. Nigel Tufnell, played by Christopher Guest, says, the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board, 11, 11, 11. And Marty DeBergi, played by Rob Reiner says, oh, I see. And most amps go up to 10. Nigel, exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Nigel says, well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most blokes, you know, be playing at 10. You're on 10. You're all the way up, all the way up. All the You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. How did I do, Taylor? Phenomenal. Très bien. Very good. <laughs> merci, merci. Unpack this for me, please. Two minutes. What does this have to do with our topic? I love the quote. 
I love it. Well, it has to do with really everything in technology. Uh, there's there's always that faction of people, especially when there's an emergent technology um, that says, well, is that necessary? Or says, well, you know, isn't 10 enough? And and the, the phrase he says before that is, why don't you just make all the all the numbers a little bit louder? Why don't you just make 10 a little bit louder? And he just goes, what, like, what the heck's wrong with you? It's 11. Like, it's obviously better if it's 11. And it's two factions. Both factions, if you were to be at a rock concert, would get loud, incredible music. One side of, of the crowd would be like, this is 11. The other one would be like, this is a very loud 10. At the end of the day, it's a freaking great concert, but it's it's the way different people look at the things that are maybe, I don't know, extra special. Uh, some people focus on the number 11. Other people just focus on the volume. At the end of the day, it's the exact same experience, and we all have a great time. Thank you very much. I'm a drummer in my spare time, and I'm looking for a band here in my new community. And I met a gentleman who plays ukulele, and he's got a friend who plays guitar, and the ukulele's wife sings. So I had them over to my house. I moved my drums down toward my my piano in my living room. (laughs) And uh, we were playing some really cool bluesy songs, Cool Cat Strut and San Francisco, Eric Clapton stuff, and I'm just using brushes on the drums real soft. And the ukulele player looks at the guitar and says, can you please play louder? I can't hear you. And they're three feet apart. And then, and then the, the wife says to the ukulele, to her husband, I can't hear you. Could you play louder? And I'm just doing a whisper on the drums. And I realized somebody was wearing a hearing aid and they said, would you please turn it up another number? And Taylor had just a quote made me think. Yeah, hit it to 11. <laughs> you they're, they're lovely people. But next time, if that happens, I'm going to say, turn it up to it. And the, the guitar player kept saying, it's an acoustic guitar. What do you want me to do? I can't play louder. <laughs> and I said, do you have a microphone? No. Do you have an amp? No. It was, it was, I'm sorry. These are lovely oh. people and I'm going to play with them again. James, let's go to your quote. This is a very from a favorite movie. It often gets quoted on the show. Back to the Future, 1985. American sci-fi adventure comedy film. There are multiple genres. Again, Emmett Doc Brown, played by the one and only Christopher Lloyd. Uh, I have the scene for this. Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox. Looking through a camcorder at the DeLorean that was their time machine. Uh, this is heavy duty, Doc. This is great. Uh, does it run like on, on regular unleaded gasoline? And Doc says, oh, no, unfortunately, it requires something a little more kick. Plutonium! And Marty says, oh, plutonium? Wait a minute. Are you telling me this sucker is nuclear? And Doc says, hey, 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 keep rolling, keep rolling there. No, 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 no. This sucker is electrical. Here's the quote. But I need a nuclear reaction to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity I need. And Marty says, Doc, you don't just walk into a store and buy plutonium. Did you rip that off? James, I love the quote. James, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, you know, communication is what this is about, what what holographics is about. And communication networks are all electrical networks, right? Um, uh, And it's all about transferring current um, uh, and electrons across the world. Well, you know, how much can holography change what we're doing? Uh, think about the first time that you actually did a video call or did a mobile call, right? Growing up, uh, my location was where my phone was attached to the wall and where that point of demarcation was. And I made fire, right? I, 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 I spun a dial to, to, to place a call. Well, with holography, we can actually have a virtual representation, a digital representation of a person in another spot. And how much does that increase uh, the value of what communications is and actually change uh, uh, what we're doing? You know, I always think of, 
there's more Moore's law that talks about the technology uh, getting getting faster and better, um, you know, exponentially. And then you got Metcalf's law that talks about the the value of the network being exponentially proportional to the to the number of endpoints. Right, the more endpoints you have, the more valuable the network was. Right, those two things kind of got married and then they met somebody named Ray Kurzweil, right? And they tied into Kurzweil's law, which is about the law of accelerating returns. How much more valuable is our communication going to be when we can actually do it in real time as a digital representation? And that's what holography brings to us. So that's my thought around this. Very cool. So we have to combine a quote from this show, something to do with plutonium 11. I think, <laughs> okay, or 11, but we'll come up with something. Thank you all for the interesting quotes. I really enjoyed the research and I enjoyed reading them up. I didn't botch them too much. Let's go to our prediction cycle. Here's how it's going to work. Joe Ward, I picked one of your predictions. Uh, it's actually number two. Put it in the chat for you. I'm going to read it. I'm going to ask you to unpack it. Take two, three minutes at the most, Joe. And then if anybody has a comment about Joe's prediction, very short. I'll give you 60 seconds, but just wiggle. You have five fingers on each hand. One of those fingers is the not nice finger. You can pick any one of the other four and wiggle. A <laughs> Taylor gets it. You can wiggle a polite finger at me. I will see you on the screen and I will call you 60 second, not a rebuttal, but just a comment. If not, I'm going on to a prediction from Alan. Yours is in the chat. Taylor, I've got one for you and James, I will pick one. So Joe Ward, prediction number two, you say the growth of public and private 5G wireless networks will open doors to new applications such as real-time holographic communications and ARMR. I want you to define that applications in manufacturing, warehouse and logistics, training and field support. That is a big prediction. Joe Ward, unpack. Three minutes. Go. So it's been a fascinating journey for us. When we started uh, ICANN about four and a half years ago, 5G was, was kind of not as in the forefront as it is today. Uh, our technology doesn't require 5G, but what we realized very early uh, in the 5G ecosystem was that it's really a, a, a product looking for a home. Like, what do you do with it? Okay, if it's bigger, faster, stronger, what does that really mean? And so the gentleman on this call, Alan, uh, James, uh, Glenn, who's not on camera, uh, have been big supporters of ICANN along the way, and in large part because they saw the same thing we saw, an opportunity for ICON to embrace 5G and, be, and become kind of an applica application development tool uh, across multiple verticals. So, you know, when you look at manufacturing, when you look at warehousing, um, <clears throat> we worked with the uh, military on a warehousing application. There's a big effort in the government to accelerate the deployment of 5G. Again, what do you do with it? So we worked with the military, the Marine Corps specifically, on a warehousing application leveraging 5G to be able to locate items quicker, um, cut down on lost inventory. Now, people were doing that with VR, with goggles-based solutions, but to Alan's point, it filled up the emergency room. People were getting hit by forklifts. They didn't know where they were. Um, so we were able to come up with a solution that, uh, that alleviated that. Working in the, uh, with a global cosmetics company to evaluate clinical trials of products. So, there's a plethora of applications that ICANN and holography can address uh, leveraging 5G, which gives the carriers a use case and a, uh, a monetization strategy uh, that we can fill for those carriers, such as the AT&Ts, T-Mobiles, Verizons, the uh, 5G providers. Thank you very much. Anybody have any quick comments on that? Are we all good? 
Oh, I see a wiggle. James, talk. 60 seconds. Go. I wholeheartedly agree with what he's saying because it's about valuing the network and, and providing that exponential value. Think about the exponential value that the, that the telcos got uh, when they uh, um, launched the iPhone, right? It was a risk. That was a risk uh, for, for AT&T uh, to do that. And they, and they saw the reward at the end of the day. They need another risk, right? They need to change. We haven't changed the device very much. Um, we've had generational, right, but not revolutionary change. This is a revolutionary change in a way that you interact with a different type of device as well, right? So, thank you very much. Um, very, very yes, Alan, go. I, I would just add one other thing: is that um, you know, the, when you think of the average consumer or average person thinks of holograms, they're thinking, "Oh, I get to be a Jedi at home now," you know, until they break the lamp and you get in trouble. Um, which is great and it's fun and hey, good, go for it. Um, but don't forget about the demographics. You know, um, even though the economy is pretty wonky now, we still have an all-time record low unemployment. Uh, and, uh, you know, the demographics say we have less and less workers entering the workforce. Um, and holographic technology is a key enabler of training and knowledge transfer. And I think, so if you look at the overall secular demographic trends in our society, you don't really have a choice. You have to figure out a way to capture this knowledge and then transfer that knowledge. And holographic technologies are a key way you can do that. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. See what you sparked, Mr. Ward? Very, very well done. Let's go to Alan. I'm looking at your prediction. I have selected number two, bringing up a very important point here. You say the growth of holographic applications at the network edge will force companies to harden security, that's the key word here, in their data networks and segregate mission-critical data away from traditional Wi-Fi traffic. Alan, three minutes. What's the issue with security here? Go ahead. Well, my goodness. Well, it, it's pretty simple, really. I mean, I'm sure you have a fair bit pair of flip-flops, but you're not going to wear them to go out to an expensive dinner. You know, you have different tools for different... Then again, you know, depends where you live, right? <laughs> uh, but, um, um, but in any case, you know, each technology is really suited for a certain application, just like your flip-flops. And Wi-Fi is great. It's not going away. It has a very important place to connect up your laptop and do certain things. But, you know, I, I like to say that it, it's optimized for use cases that, ex, that were created about 25 years ago. And we've sort of extended and stretched this application and continue to do so. But, but it doesn't really have the security and the low latency and the coverage that you need to fully cover your enterprise, especially when you get out of anything with carpet. You know, when you're in a warehouse, when you're in uh, like one uh, uh, partner we're dealing with is a 90-acre manufacturing campus who needs that seamless um, connectivity inside and out, that things you're not going to do with Wi-Fi. And security becomes really important because, you know, in the old model, Bonnie, you were talking about some of the old days. And, and you know, up until maybe 15 years ago, a company thought to be in business, you have to fill your basement with servers, right? Racks of servers to run a business. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, we don't have to do anything except have laptops in our business. Everything's going to the cloud. And the answer is, frankly, somewhere in the middle is what we've learned in modern society. And especially when you think about holographic applications, uh, the more visual something is, the more data it is. And the more data it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, the more you need a specific kind of network, which is why we're so, one of the reasons we're so busy in private cellular, um, that can support massive amounts of data with really good reliability and really good security. And then on top of that, you throw all the geopolitical things 
for many bad players. And so security becomes really, really important. And so you, you need a different type of connectivity to give you the security that's going to be sufficient. Thank you very much. Security, security, security. We talk about it in all kinds of things like our cars are now data centers, right? What are you talking to? What are you putting in GPS? You watch TV shows. Oh, follow is, oh, what, what toll bridge did he go to? Oh, where's the GPS of the car? Locate him. Get that. Anyway, yes, security important. Joe Ward, talk to me. Well, I'm going to point to Taylor to talk about the warehousing application very briefly, Taylor, and the edge computing and how it's secure. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to him, but this is a good point. Taylor? Prediction on this? Go ahead. Yeah, I love the baton pass. Uh, it's actually quite interesting. When we first started this whole concept of holography specifically, um, I only wanted to play video games. The entire reason why I built the thing was because I wanted to play Legend of Zelda in it. Uh, Alan and Joe definitely saw some unique capabilities. But even when it comes to warehousing with 5G um, and the security capabilities that we were able to have is being able to purely pass visual frames without having essentially discreetly passing visual frames without any sort of internal information about uh, schematic uh, environments. We were literally able to create the first uh, ARM application system where the device itself had absolutely no understanding spatially of the entire environment. So, for example, if you were to, say, go into a military warehouse and be able to scan yourself into the location and get a map to, say, some of the inventory objects, in a traditional system, you would have to have all that information locked onto the phone. God forbid you take that phone off base and rip it apart. Now you know where all the bullets are. You have a, a keen understanding of the entire warehousing environment. So with this unique system, because of the security, we had to literally have a dumb terminal phone that would just accept frames and then pass frames to our holographic projection apparatus as well as the phone uh, itself. Only way to do that is to build a new type of security around rendering systems that we would be, be able to do a combination of both cloud as well as on-prem. So again, it's just some unique capabilities that are coming even just in the last two years of what we're able to do from a security standpoint. Thank you very much. Important. Alan, thank you for bringing that up. Let's move on. Well, Taylor, you're next. My goodness, we're hearing from you again. Taylor, I'm going to combine your predictions one and four. I think they go well together. Three minutes, okay? So number one, you say holographic use will bust out of the confined theatrical use case to enhance engagement and communication on a more personal level. That's number one. Let me combine it with four. The increased domestic investment in semiconductors, I think they link together, Taylor, will quickly translate into a new wave of tech innovation. So talk about the personal level and the innovation. If you could combine those, I would appreciate it. Go ahead, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's uh, there's a ton of things, if you think about it, um, that have been building over the last few years. When Joe and I started um, definitely the goggles wave had been taking off and then you had the VR wave Oculus had just been, been bought was taking off as well as um, staggering LED displays for, for dimensional displays, things like that. There's a lot of these, these unique, disparate, different uh, types of technologies and types of visual systems. Then you have our visual system with using transparent projective systems with unique adaptive intelligence. So it's a ton of different ways of psychologically pleasing people with a new visual system. What really is now happening that we're excited about is on one side, you have software and 5G being able to actually produce the foundation for what can be delivered almost instantaneously. But on the other side, the big reason why a lot of those technologies are not able to take off is because as a species, we haven't evolved to the point where between power consumption and memory management for computational systems, it's comfortable or feasible. A big, a big portion of what we did when we began down the path of sort of democratizing our form of this holography was understanding why 
certain systems weren't pleasing long-term to individuals. And it's, it's specifically because of bulk power management capabilities and the, the frustrations therein. And uh, when the brain, the prefrontal cortex is hypersensitive to annoyances. For example, AR is really cool. When you go through an AR environment and you ground plane something and you lock, you know, you can see like a cool show, but seven to 20 seconds and people get annoyed. That was, I mean, we tested it on children, infants, elderly, young, 40, 30, 20, everybody that we could possibly find. And everybody, seven to 20 seconds would go, okay, yeah, that was really fun. And then they would immediately stop wanting to use the AR system, including other volumetric systems as well. What we realized was that normalization is because at no point in time, from the moment that you leave the womb to now, are you trying to shove another reality into your own existence in an uncomfortable way? The investments that we're making into semiconductors now, the investments that we're making into software and AI now are going to wind up being able to culminate. And that's why we're excited about next year, us launching um, this, this new system is between 5G being able to tether your existing mobile phone to our system is all these investments that are being made are going to be able to finally cohese into a single position where it's no longer uncomfortable to use. And it's now a, a, essentially it's an addition to your current reality, not a new reality that has to replace yours. Thank you. Comfort. Yes. Prediction yeah. of comfort. Yes, I, I have the Quest headset and I have to wear my glasses with it, with that little adapter inside. And I'm continually, I'll get to you a second, Joe, continually adjusting the strap over the top, the strap around here where the glasses are positioned. And it's a chore to wear that. It's very heavy and it messes with the curls. What can I know? I'm not that big. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joe, you wanted to make a comment. Go ahead. And next, James, I'm going to tee you up yeah, next. I mean, Go we, ahead, Joe. We, we, we don't, as a species, we don't like change, right? So if you look back at, at uh, there were some failed attempts at a mobile holographic device. Hydrogen One was an entirely new phone that, that created a holographic image over it. It was really cool, but nobody's going to replace their current iPhone or Android phone with a new phone. They, they, they like, they're comfortable with the experience. They, they know it. They like touch capabilities. They, they like pinch zoom. Um, and so what we've done is we've built an attachment to those devices, and we still have all the same very comfortable mechanisms to deal with content, whether it's touch capabilities, uh, pinch zoom. So the, the Icon Rise, which is our mobile device that we're launching uh, Q1 of next year for the consumer, uh, is really going to uh, lean into the existing experience and leverage it in a way that's never been done. So um, we felt like that's really a very important part of uh, our mission statement as we develop new technology. It's got to make sense. It does. Thank you very much. Good comments there. James Bram, I just switched your prediction to number three. Hope you saw it because yeah. I, this goes back to part of my introduction. You say holography will present better learning opportunities and a better educational environment for students while providing a realistic collaboration experience for teams and Zoom meetings. Okay, James, I've given you three minutes and then we have to wrap up. James, it's all yours. Go ahead. Well, well for, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pivot back just to a quick second. Sure. Taylor at the end of, of his was talking about the warehousing experience, right? And and I believe that, that this stuff is also going to revolutionize supply chain because mm -hmm. supply chain's about the database and the the uh, the digital things that are out there and putting them into the database. And right now they're flying drones around these warehouses to actually take a look at what the inventory is, right? Well, that's nice, right? But you use 3D holography, uh, holography to actually verify 
right? What's there as opposed to just counting things. Um, it reduces time, it reduces cost, it reduces the complexity. It's really not about counting the things, it's about verifying. So I think the 3D holography combined with database drones and digital twins, it's like 3D squared, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's exponentially growing that stuff there. Um, the, um, you know, and the other, the other thing is, you know, Taylor brought up the, the miniaturization or the, the growth of chips and what we're doing there. And, it, I, you know, let's go back to the chips legislation that was passed and the fact that we're bringing stuff in to the U.S. Um, holography uh, will benefit from that. Um, pivot back. You, everybody's talked a little bit about um, HoloLens or some of the VR, AR glasses, things like that. But let's go back to the Coke and Golden Eye of 10 years ago and Google Glass. Uh, how many people had Google Glasses? I did. I had a pair. You know, pe people called the Google Glass guys glass holes, right? They weren't used. <laughs> everybody, everybody on this call has a pair of glasses. Alan, I know yours are set. Your read readers are sitting there on your on your cup, uh, right? No comments. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a good club, Alan. Go, go ahead, James. I spell wearables with a with a W H E R right. It's not W E A R wearables. It's where are they right? Wearables haven't hit the way that they were supposed to, um, and and holography doesn't require wearables to hit. Um, but my prediction around around a better learning experience, mm -hmm. our test score dropped. Right, we we've seen the math coming out of out of COVID. Um, we've seen the you know, most of my customers actually said uh, the Zoom experience actually enhanced their productivity. Yes. Imagine if you had it in three dimensions. Imagine if you had Hollywood squares in three dimensions, because that's what Zoom is. It's just Hollywood squares. Um, <laughs> it, it enhances the experience. Do you remember the, the time that you, you did your first video call and, and how, wow, it was then? Uh, you know, I remember when I when I when I actually saw holography on Star Trek and thought, "Whoa! Well, we're here now. We are here with yeah, the yeah. future." And and I, I truly think it it enhances the learning experience. It enhances education at a corporate environment. If uh, if somebody if a corporate trainer is trying to show somebody something, and you can do it in three dimensions now as opposed to uh, you know just a picture. Right. It, it enhances that entire experience. Thank you, James. And thank you for addressing supply chain as well. I appreciate that. We're just about about two and a half minutes left. Uh, uh, Joe, I'll give you 30 seconds. Talk. So Taylor invented a term called emotional engagement factor. And that's what James is talking about. There's some studies that and there's a Ph.D. white paper on our website which talks about this. Um, but there's there's definitely a movement towards uh, people absorb bet information better. They retain information. It's a more pleasing experience when you have a volumetric interaction, like a, a volumetric Zoom call. You learn, you learn faster, better, and long, and retain information longer. Thank you. Pleasing experience. Uh, just so you all know, I started business radio for SAP, uh, Game Changers Radio, in on October fifth, twenty eleven. Does anybody know why that date? It changed tech history. Not my show, but something else happened that day. October 5, 2011. Something happened in the world of brilliant tech. Steve Jobs passed away that day. My show wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. Nobody showed up except one guest, and we talked about mobility for an hour. But that was I, I, that's how I remember. But I want to tell you that I was doing business radio on the phone for years. Talk oh. about emotional engagement, Taylor. I had to listen and say, 
Oh, is Taylor done with his paragraph? Oh, I think he's, I hear his breathing. I think he's still going to keep talking without <laughs> stepping over you. I had to guess. And then uh, 2019, and I said, okay, let's add Zoom. And, and Voice America said, sure, we can integrate Zoom into the radio show. And then I figured out how to do live streaming on LinkedIn and Facebook. So I was able to get that comfort level, that engagement, that personal communication where I can see Joe Ward thinking and I can see that little figure and I could see Alan saying, no, I'm not going to tell him about wearing glasses. I really don't want to talk about that. I want to thank the four of you and please stay around. I want to talk to you afterwards. And again, Tracy Ventures, thank you so much. Glenn Goldberg, I appreciate that. And, uh, Cody Oakland, thank you for joining us. We had quite a few viewers here on LinkedIn. Appreciate that. And please promote, promote, promote. And thank you to Andrew, our very special and very congenial and cordial engineer at Voice America Radio. And I want you all guests to raise your hand now and you're going to wag your finger on the count of three. You're going to join me and you're going to say no, no, no. Okay, Alan, get ready to raise your finger. Joe and James, come on, put that the good finger up, the second finger. No. Okay. People say the future is already here and we say one, two, three. No, no, no. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. One, two, three. No, no, no. I expected more from you guys. That's because the future is not here yet. And we're all here to make it a better one, a more personal one, a more engaging one, a more satisfying one. Hopefully, Alan, a more secure one. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.